Welcome to Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by my fellow co-hosts, Rosemary Orchard. How are you, Rosemary? Oh, I'm doing really well, David. Uh, life is good and we have a great guest for today's show. Yes, the infamous Dr. Drang has returned to the Automators. Hello, Doctor. Hello. How are you, folks? Uh, we are doing great. I, I feel like beta season for me and Rose is just like one of the best times of the year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very frustrating for people like me who who refuse uh yeah i get to it. do the beta i because you, you keep seeing you keep seeing the fun that people are having sometimes not so much fun sometimes you know things things go badly um this is though this will be the second year that i have two ipads Ooh. And, oh boy. and and i and you know i have my main ipad the 12.9 inch and then i've got this the little the very old um 9.7 inch iPad Pro didn't last very long uh as as a, and so I'm is this the year I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to plunge take the plunge if you don't put it on that small iPad today you are a what coward you? The, the only caveat I will say is as we record this developer beta 2 came out not that long ago and I installed it and split text has broken in all of my shortcuts um which is very frustrating um, so, um, I, I'm just going to add that little caveat in there of maybe wait until the public beta is out. And, uh, for anybody listening at home who is there going, I could get the developer beta, but you're not a developer. I, I would recommend waiting for the public beta. I'm, I'm going to take Rosemary's advice instead of David's here. Ca coward. <laughs> I am sorry for undermining you, David, but I do feel like it's, it's probably a smart move, uh, for, for anybody who, who's got access to both betas, but doesn't need it as a developer or as a podcast or a tech journalist or something, you know, you can wait until the public beta. It's going to be better, hopefully, um, less crashy. My watch has, I am pleased to say, stopped rebooting when I wash my hands. Um, so... <laughs> I will be happy to be considered a smart coward. All right. Well, when you do get around to it, let us know what you think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I will. But the reason we're having you here today is to talk automation. Um, you know, over at your blog, you cover automation frequently. And I, I thought that it would be, um, and we, we've had you on once before, but there's just so many little nuggets coming out of your, your website. But, but before we start getting into the weeds, just for listeners that aren't familiar with you, give us a little bit of background about the mysterious Dr. Drang. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm 59 years old, uh, and I started programming. I had a, I had, I'm an engineer by training. And uh, that, and that's what I do for a living. I'm a consulting engineer. Uh, I do a lot of uh, investigations of failures. Things break, or there are some, or there's an accident of some sort, or there's a concern that something was not built correctly, and so some investigation has to be done uh, to figure out what's wrong with it, if indeed anything is wrong with it. So that's kind of, that's what I do uh, in my day job, and that's what pays the bills. Um. I had the traditional engineer's introduction to programming. Tr well, what was traditional in the late 70s. I took a Fortran class in uh, 1977, 8, something, something like that. It was Fortran 4, not even Fortran 77 yet. Uh, and uh, that's what's – and that was – it was a terrible class. I didn't learn anything really uh, – but what got me more interested in programming in general 
was a technical elective that I took my senior year, which was a Pascal course. And uh, I learned a lot in that class. Structured programming was the paradigm of the time. And that's what I learned. And I learned Pascal and we wrote lots of stuff. Our, our, uh, Our instructor was very new and didn't realize, I think, that you shouldn't be teaching undergrads as many things as he taught us. Mm-hmm. And that was just great. And that was just great. I mean, we ended up writing a text editor. Wow. Um, in in Pascal, which had no string type. We had to, uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a tough course, but it I, I learned a lot and I enjoyed it. And uh, I have been programming off and on uh, ever since. The thing I like about you, and I've told this story in the past about um, years ago, I took a woodworking class from this famous woodworker named Sam Maloof. Sam's gone now, but oh, he, yeah. he made these amazing rocking chairs. And so I went and spent a day or two in his shop with him. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where you could pay to have a class with Sam. And I was obsessed. I was young. I was in my 20s. I was obsessed with his tools, you know, which is the usual mistake you make, right? Mm-hmm. And um, at one point, Sam turns to me and says, Dave, it doesn't matter what tools I use. If I need to, I use my teeth, you know, and that little bit of wisdom has stuck with me my whole life. And whenever I get hung up on tools, I think about Sam and his teeth. But the thing I like about you um, is that you do the same thing. Like if I read your blog, one day there may be a shortcut up there. One day there may be an Apple script. The next day there will be a terminal command. Next day there'll be a Python script. I mean, it's just like you're doing so many different automation types. And it seems to me like you just pick, Whatever works. Yeah, well, focus has always been a problem for me. So I, I, but the other thing is, you know, when you, you realize if you are at this long enough, I mean, I've had plenty of years to learn lots of different languages. I've probably programmed in, I don't know, between one dozen and two dozen different languages over the years. And, And, you know, not just writing stuff to just see what it was like, but actually programming something that was useful for me, at least, if not for anyone else. And you just, after a while, if you can get over that hump, that you you learn that you know, all these languages are pretty much the same and you, you, you shouldn't be afraid of them. And they all have their, their good sides and their, and, their, and their bad sides. And you just try to pick the one that's best or, or in some cases, the only one that can do things. So, mm-hmm. for example, sometimes you can only do things in shortcuts. I mean, uh, because you want to do something on iOS. Well, not a lot of choices in iOS. Mm-hmm. So you're you're likely to be doing something in shortcuts. And similarly on the Mac, there are sometimes if you've got a if you've got to work back and forth with uh, contacts or the calendar or whatever. Well, you're going to be writing an Apple script or nowadays uh, JavaScript for applications, or for what? No, it's not JavaScript for it's uh, JXA is JavaScript for automation, mm-hmm. not applications. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, it's got to be one of those two because you can't you can't get into the other things. Eh, Keyboard Maestro helps out a, quite a lot in that, but still, ultimately, you're going to end up some with something Apple scripty. Yeah, so often it just ends up in Keyboard Maestro, doesn't it? Like if, if you can. <laughs> Yeah, that's certainly that's certainly my first choice uh, because AppleScript is never my first choice. I have been yeah. programming in AppleScript since the late '90s, since it came out, and I do not feel comfortable ever programming in AppleScript ever. Well, when you get it working, don't touch it. That's the rule of AppleScript. Oh, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Don't question it. <laughs> and if you find something that somebody else has written that seems to do the job, just leave it alone. Even if you're there going, Steal could it. I maybe change it to do this? Like, Consider maybe just running a second script, or at least that's what I do. So I have a couple of keyboard maestro macros, which run one Apple script, and then they run another Apple script, and then they run a third Apple script, because I found the three. And my attempts to combine those three into one, sometimes they just fail, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why. I'm pretty certain it's just a race condition or something that's in there. Um, but then, you know, I just leave it as three separate Apple scripts and run it through Keyboard Maestro. Keyboard Maestro saves the day again. You are very wise. You know, but getting back to Dr. Drang's teeth, I, I really like the fact that you do use <laughs> these kind of consumer level automation tools like, you know, you know, Keyboard Maestro and, you know, the usual suspects. But then you go into scripting and programming as well. And you wrote a post and we'll link it in the show notes recently. And, uh, just saying, hey, you know, if you're doing Keyboard Maestro and you're afraid to script, don't be, you know, and it was just a, it just was such a clear message. And I think people who understand, like, if you can write a script in Keyboard Maestro, you understand most of the programming concepts necessary to get started scripting. And I think there, for a lot of people, there is this this emotional or mental barrier that's a lot bigger than the actual barrier of going over that step. And I thought that would be something I'd like to talk about with our audience. That post was inspired by a lot of things that I've seen on the automators forum and uh, to some extent on the MPU forum as, as well and, and drafts uh, their, their forum as well. I've, I've been more into the forum since being off of Twitter recently so I'm spending my time doing something else. And you, you see people and you can see people who have been writing keyboard maestro uh, macros or shortcuts that have many steps and that include pretty sophisticated comments or uh, concepts. And, but these people don't want to take the, there's a, there's a step that they can't do and you want to say, well, you know, you can do that in JavaScript, for example, or Apple Script, whatever it happens to be, and and they kind of and they kind of freeze. And well, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. And boy, it's you've got it all. If if you're doing uh, if you're doing loops and regular expressions and uh, conditional uh, statements, if statements in any of these, uh, visual programming systems like keyboard maestro or shortcuts, man, you are programming and you don't, you've got it all. Yes, it's true. You will have to learn some syntax. Well, you have to learn syntax to do shortcuts and to do keyboard maestro as well. You have to know how to search for, the particular little block that you've got to drag in to your your visual program, your, your macro or whatever you want to call it. And it's not that much different um, than looking up. I spend a lot of time. I've been writing I've been writing Python programs since for about 15 years, I would say, seriously, where that's that's my main language for the kind of programming I do specifically for work, for the engineering work that I do. And I am at docs.python.org all the time. Mm -hmm. 
even after 15 years, I still go there because I can't remember how, how do I how do I search for an item in a list? I don't remember how do I remove it? Oh yeah, that's oh yeah, it's removed. Good now, yeah, good. So it, it's um, I you do that all the time. You're all, I'm always looking at the documentation or looking at Stack Overflow or things like that. It, it, you just you get used to doing that. And as I said, you know, with AppleScript. I've been I've been programming in AppleScript for over 20 years, and I have absolutely no idea how to program in AppleScript. I, I really don't. All I what I do is I oh well I'm I I know I have to say tell application contacts <laughs> if I'm going to do something with my contacts. After that, I can't. How do you do? Is it how do I do with the selection? How do I do what? Where is the address? Is the address in the? Oh no, it's not there. It's it's once it's one below that. Oh, you first you get a list, and then you have to select the first one out of the list, even though there's only one. It's a mess, and I am spending my time with the documentation. I always have the dictionaries open in AppleScript, um, and uh, it, it that's just that's just the way it is. Yeah, but I think that's the barrier. What you're describing, like. You've been doing it 20 years. You still don't understand it. You know, that you're always in the docs. So, so I feel like I, I, that, I think that's what creates that barrier, but it's really not what you're describing in my mind, at least, because I was the same way. It took me a long time to start actually dipping my toes into scripting. And then once I started doing it, I realized that even though I'm never going to be a master at any of this, um, with the knowledge I had from those more, you know, consumer grade automation tools, I knew how to put together a program and even going back to the, my childhood with basic and some, you know, uh, you know, the uh, player missile graphics I programmed on an Atari computer. It was easy enough to put it together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, I know what I want to do and I know what I want to tell the computer to do. I understand what steps I want the computer to do for me. After that, it's just, well, what what is the order of the words or the order of the blocks, depending on what environment you're you're uh, scripting in? That's that's all that matters. It's syntax from that point from that point on, and syntax is not that hard. It's it's hard to it's hard for me to remember. I don't remember probably because I program in too many different genres, mm-hmm. too many different uh, tools. I don't I don't remember them all. Uh, I don't care. I I know that the documentation is there, and I don't have to look up. Uh, you know, after after you program for a while, I don't. I'm not looking up what I want to do, or oh, do I need a loop here? I, I know I need a loop. I may not remember how to write a loop, <laughs> but that's easy. That's easy to find out. Is it? Should it be a while? Should it be four? Should it be oh? Is it, what what is the block in shortcuts that makes a loop uh, repeat? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. Those are, those things are trivial. What's important for programming is a clear head and a, a, an underlying concept of what you want to do and how you uh, being able to break a problem down mm-hmm. into smaller bits. And that's universal. It doesn't matter what language you're, you're using. It doesn't matter whether you're using a visual programming tool or just typing out text. It's it's that clear thinking that matters the most. And it's being in the habit of thinking clearly and thinking about how can I break this down to make 
this simple machine do what I want it to do. And uh, that's yeah, after that, it's all, it's all just, it's, you know, it's, it's like choosing the color of your clothes, really. Uh, the important thing is, you know, you need to wear a shirt and you need to wear a pair of pants. It, the, the colors come, are secondary. Definitely. You, it's it's all about figuring out what the big picture is in the first place. Um, because if you don't know what the big picture is, you you can't, you know, put the jigsaw together, however the jigsaw looks. Yeah. One of the things that I, um, gosh, this goes back to when I was a graduate st- student and I was uh, I was teaching a course for, for my advisor. I was substituting for him. Uh, and there was, it, it had to do with uh, probability issues in, in uh, engineering and reliability and uh, I had, it was hard to teach because this is my first experience teaching. But what I, what I realized uh, as I was doing it was that by being able to explain things to the students, I learned probably more than they did. Yeah. Be, being, that, that's being common. Forced, yeah. Being, and, and when I was, and when I was a professor later on, the older guys in the department used to just always say, oh, if you want to learn a topic, Sign up, you know, volunteer to teach the class. Yeah. You will learn yeah. the topic, and and I and it's the same thing uh, I found in graduate school was was that programming was the same thing. It was you are teaching the computer how to do a problem, and you have to be clear in explaining a, a problem to a or the solution to a problem to a computer because computers don't know anything. You can't trust them to fig to fill in the blanks. You can't trust them to, oh, I know what he means, even though he said it a little bit wrong. No, no, that, that isn't the way it works. And you get into that habit of breaking a problem down into its smallest parts and then building it back and building up a solution to it from those smallest parts. And People who who use shortcuts and keyboard maestro or whatever they whatever other tools they use that are not thought to be real programming in quotes, they're doing real programming. And you have you have figured out if you can do those things, you have figured out that breaking down and building back up. And it's it's just a matter of choosing what color shirt you're, shirt you're going to wear uh, as to whether you should move on to JavaScript or Python or Apple Script or Pearl or Ruby or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to do is give some advice to listeners that are at that, they're standing at the precipice and they're listening to us and saying, okay, I want to do that. Like, and, um, and what are some ways that you would recommend for folks to get started, to, to jump over that line? Well, I think you, you need to have your motivation and your motivation probably will be the best motivation for you will probably be an automation that you have been trying to do the way you've been doing in the past with keyboard maestro or shortcuts, let's say, and you can't quite get there. Shortcuts just doesn't have a a box that you can stick in to do something. And at this point, uh, you have a choice. You can either abandon this automation that you want to do, or you take the next step. And the next step on iOS, I would say, is probably JavaScript. And the reason I say that is because Scriptable is a pretty darn good citizen of iOS in that it's a good citizen of iOS as iOS exists 
in the shortcuts era, which is what we are now in. Uh, being, uh, you know, once upon a time, I think, and I, I still use Pythonista. I love Python. I prefer Pyth- pro- uh, programming in Python to JavaScript. But on iOS, typically JavaScript is a better way to go simply because the tools are there to integrate with, uh, with shortcuts. And similarly, if you're a drafts user, well, you really should learn JavaScript Mm -hmm. because although drafts has lots of actions, it doesn't have every action that you're ever going to need. And you will find that you want to format something just a particular way and you want to tease out a little bit of, uh, you know, some text from over here and some text from over here and put it together and combine it and maybe add some things together and then, and then put, put an answer in anything like that. Boy, you're just much better off trying to use JavaScript. And uh, Greg put in Greg put JavaScript in there because he knew that he was not going to be able to give you everything you wanted by making a bunch of actions. Mm-hmm. That ultimately you need an action that allows you to go off and do and and use a more robust and a larger programming language. And uh, I, you know, as I say, I don't like JavaScript particularly. I'm not sure anybody really likes JavaScript, but uh, it is the language to do things in drafts, and it is the language to easily extend shortcuts through by way of scriptable. So I think that's a good choice. Plus one, a hundred percent. I feel like if you want to get started in this stuff, JavaScript not only for all the reasons Drang says. But it's also on both platforms. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. listening to this show, you've got a Mac and you've got an iOS device. You don't want your automation to work in just one place. No, no, that's that's the the big selling point of drafts for me as well. And also, just let's take a, a random example that I had the other day of I wanted to insert a date in my draft, but I didn't want to insert today's date. I wanted to insert next Monday. Well, drafts mm-hmm. doesn't have a template for that. So I could have found it out to shortcuts and got shortcuts to to figure out what next Monday is. But that's actually kind of complex in shortcuts. But instead, Agile Tortoise added um, a, a great date uh, math plugin for JavaScript. So you don't even need to think about it. That It just does stuff. And so I, t- I could just type in next Monday and then format it as this and then insert. And that was it. It was like three lines of code um, to get next Monday's date. And it works every time. Um, but I, I had to make the step of typing those three lines of code and yes, I'm going to do this as a script. Um, but it's a lot easier to do that than it is to jump out to shortcuts, which, oh wait, and now I'm on my Mac. So I don't have shortcuts yet, maybe next year. Um, but you know, that, that's, that's not available right now. And I wanted a cross-platform solution. So JavaScript is definitely a great starting point. And, and even if you didn't want a cross-platform solution for that, and of course you, you should, right. But and it's it's great that drafts allows you to call shortcuts and then bring this bring the information back in. That's that's another thing that Greg has done that's very that's excellent and and very user friendly. But man, then now you've got essentially two scripts going on. Mm-hmm. You, you've got you've got one in drafts and you've got and then you've got another one cluttering up your shortcuts. Well, you folks that have skipped ahead to the beta have folders now. I don't have folders yet, but you know. It's being able to work in the language that is closest to where you're working Mm -hmm. is very helpful. And JavaScript, you know, 
I I am not a big fan of JXA, not because I don't. It's because if you are trying to get something done in Apple Script and you are searching the web for someone who has done something similar or maybe even exactly the same thing, you're likely to find it in Apple Script rather than JXA, simply because Apple Script has been around for so long. Uh, you, you just see more example scripts in Apple Script. So ultimately, I think it's helpful to know a little bit of Apple Script, even if you prefer to write in a JavaScript on your Mac mm-hmm. and access all of the all of the Apple Scripty stuff by way of JavaScript. It's probably helpful to have at least some idea of what Apple Script looks like, because uh, there are some there are just some concepts in there that are in both languages, in both JXA and AppleScript, but I think they're usually better explained in AppleScript. The language works a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's got these weird, you know, for every, repeat with every contact whose city is Chicago, or something like that. That's, you can do that in JavaScript. You can do a similar thing like that in JavaScript, but it, it's more natural in AppleScript. And so if you understand how the, how the AppleScript works for those sorts of uh, filtering things, you, you can translate it to the JavaScript relatively easily. Yeah, but it still runs into this multi-platform problem. Like it, talking about if you create a JavaScript that requires a shortcut and then you try and run drafts on your Mac, mm. it's going to say, hey, where's my shortcut? And Absolutely. And then the flip side is AppleScript. If you write an AppleScript, and I, I'm a big user of AppleScripts, but I understand that the stuff I create there is not going to work on my iPad and iPhone. And that's kind of getting back to why I think JavaScript is such a great jumping off point. I know in my case, I didn't have any formal JavaScript training. So I don't know, about three or four years ago, I went to Code Academy and it's codeacademy.com. They've got a free JavaScript course there. It took me like a weekend to go through it. And now I had I know just enough about JavaScript that when I go find code samples, I can cobble things together. I mean, my relationship to, to JavaScript isn't all that different than my relationship to AppleScript. But um, as someone who has crossed the line, but not as far as you two have, I can say this isn't that difficult, guys. Mm. No, it re- it really isn't. Again, again, it's it's getting that mode of thinking that you break the problem down into the small parts and then you build up a solution from the, from the solution of all those individual small parts. That's key to programming, not the language that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you can do it in shortcuts or keyword maestro, you can write a script. You just need to learn, you know, instead of which blocks do I put in, it's which words do I put in um, and how do I format them? That that's, that's, I mean, it sounds very simple, but that is pretty much it. You know, you just need to figure out what words you, it is you need to do, which is exactly what you're doing already. Yeah, and I and I do often see, although both keyboard maestro and shortcuts have some really useful and and clever and powerful boxes that you can stick into your into your script or, or your your automation. Um, sometimes I see people who are trying to stay purely in shortcuts, for example, to solve a problem. They are they are going all around the world to solve something where oh one single scriptable step with just a few lines sort of like what Rosemary was was talking about with the dates would would just solve the problem really quickly 
Mm-hmm. And you're you're going you're you're making your life harder by not jumping into a traditional scripting language by sticking with boxes and lines connecting boxes. Yeah, and on that spectrum, I'm not as far over as you are, but I do see this benefit. Like I uh, I can do some pretty cool stuff with JavaScript, but I can't write a JavaScript that's going to look at the entire screen for a checkbox that looks just like this and click in the middle of it. And I can do that in keyboard maestro. But then when you think that I can combine some JavaScript mojo with that, with that box and keyboard maestro, now you're talking. Yeah. And, and, And that takes, there's no question that takes time to try to figure out, you know, how, how do you render under, under Caesar? What should I do in JavaScript? or Apple script, whatever it is, and what should I do in the native tongue of this box and lines environment, whether it's shortcuts or keyboard maestro or whatever. Uh, And there's, there is no simple advice for that. You just have to do it and make mistakes. And uh, ultimately you'll figure it out and you'll, and really Making mistakes is actually okay. One of, gosh, you asked me to give you a couple of automations that we could talk about uh, here later on in the program. And one of them that I gave you is an awful program. It is a, it is a terrible, disgusting mess that I have never written about on my blog because it is in, it's an embarrassment. I'm, I'm doing it here on your show. I'm not Excellent. on my blog. Excellent. I like that. <laughs> but, but it's, it's a, ter- but it is one of my most useful administrative scripts for running my business. And the reason it is so ugly is because it has been built up over the course of 15 years or so. And every time I think, oh, I need to do something more with this, I just add it. I don't, I don't, I, I have never rewritten this thing. Yeah, you've never you done know, the ground, ground up rebuild. Up. Yeah. No, never, because I'm afraid to. Uh, not that I couldn't do it, but because I don't want to spend the time for on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's working. I can add a few more lines, and now it'll do this extra little bit. And and it does. And uh, also, I'm thinking, geez, I'm not that many more years. Uh, I'm not that many years away from retirement. Do I want to re- rewrite this thing? Nah, I'm going to let it ride. I'm gonna, and, and that's okay. Because because even bad uh, when i say badly written i mean inelegant mm-hmm. they they do the job but they don't do it in a clever way and they don't do it in a short way and they don't do it in a in a way that you are proud of because boy that that's a very nicely structured program that's a neat looking little program um ultimately especially for things that are done for yourself who cares who cares how elegant it is it does the job oh is it as fast as it could be well, probably not. Th- does that matter? You're you're saving yourself five minutes of time. Does it matter whether it runs in one second or half a second? No, it doesn't. Does it? Does it matter that you're using a, an algorithm that's awful? Does it matter that you've repeated yourself instead of refactoring this thing into something nice and clear? No, it does. None of those things matter. It it gets the job done. And so, uh, you know, ugly programs are worthwhile too. Absolutely. I was looking at something today um, that a colleague had written at work 
Um, and the, the, one of the first things I thought when I saw it was I would program this differently, but that doesn't mean that I would program it better. Like it may not be the prettiest working looking script in the world, but it really works. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, if your automation does what your automation is intended to do, when it's intended to do it and how it's intended to do it, and there are no unexpected consequences, you've won. You know, that's gold medal worthy. We don't need to, you know, spend time, you know, reformatting things and rewriting things just because we can. Now, if you're learning to script and you think, hmm, maybe I could do the script better, that is a great learning tool. You've already got something. You can try rewriting it using this new feature or function that you found. But you don't have to. You can just leave it and move on to the next great automation in your life because, you know, you're listening to automators. There's going to be hundreds more things that you need to write throughout your career. Right. And and you will write the next one better. Yes. And the one after that, you'll write better than that and so on until eventually you're actually writing programs that you can be proud of. Or like me, sometimes you you, st- <laughs> you keep changing the one that you're not proud of because you just don't want to dig into it anymore. But they all work and they all and they all do what you want them to do. And especially this whole thing with automations. Yes, I often I will write a blog post and explain how I've written something. But you don't have you don't have to do that. So keep it keep it quiet. Keep it to yourself. Um, you, if you if you think it's not written well, so what? It works for you. You don't have to let it. You don't have to air your dirty laundry out out to the world. You can keep it to yourself and just and be happy that you are solving a problem that you really needed solved. And every time you use that thing, it it does it faster than you could do it by hand, and it does it correctly, which you are often not going to do by hand because it's it's boring. It's something you your mind wanders as you're trying to go through the, these steps and you end up screwing it up. Automations don't do that. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by DevonThink. Get organized and unleash your creativity. Go to devintechnologies.com slash automators to get 10% off. DevonThink is such a great sponsor for The Automators because it's so automation friendly. DevonThink is the flagship product from Devon Technologies, and it's a professional document and information management application for the Mac, and it helps you collect, file, organize, edit, and annotate all sorts of documents so you can reach digital organizational heaven. Archive all of your email with the Enhanced Email Archiver. You press a button in Apple Mail, and it saves it to DevonThink. And you can do the same thing with paper documents. They attach directly to your scanner. So you press a button on your scanner, you save the document straight to DevonThink. You can even imprint PDFs with custom stamps before giving them to others. Then organize your documents in any way you want. They have smart groups to let you create different views on your data. And the application has integrated artificial intelligence to assist you with filing and searching. The filing part is spooky good. You can automate your workflow and create smart rules and add flexible reminders to any document. They have so many different criteria that you can slice and dice your documents via automation. That's one of the things I really like about DevonThink, and it just takes all of the work out of working with the application. And if you listen to automators, it's going to be super easy for you. They even let non-programmers easily automate many parts of the workflow so you can delegate the boring, repeating tasks in DevonThink. And finally, sync your data securely between your devices, using your preferred web storage or even directly on the local network, and you can take your data with you with DevonThink's iOS companion app. 
Now you can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. That's devontechnologies.com slash automators, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-O-R-S for that 10% off. And our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So, Dr. Drang, uh, you came prepared for this show because, of course, as well as having all of this stuff on your blog, you, you've you fished out a couple of examples of some scripts that you actually use. These aren't just, you know, scripts that are done for show. They're scripts that you, you use in your daily life. And the first one that you, you've put in our wonderful little outline here is um, actually a dual automation because you've got a Mac and an iOS version. Um, and it's about formatting names and addresses for, for, for use with LaTeX. Um, how did you get started with this? You know, what's the use case behind it? How does it work? Okay. Well, um, when I write, uh, I write all of my reports and all of my correspondence and proposals for work in, I, I call it LaTeX, but what, whatever, LaTeX, it, it, it is the, um, which is a, a text formatting language of sorts, very similar to HTML, um, Except, of course, it has its own syntax, and it was—it's uh, good for—it's uh, good, especially in how I got into it, is because of its mathematical uh, formula formatting, at which it is unexcelled. It is clearly the best, and it also has some very nice things about basically taking your taking the formatting this this you know the way things look out of your hands you cut you focus on the words and you focus on the structure of your report or whatever it is that you're writing anyway so that's what i write i write in latex and um in order to put a client's name and address into a, a proposal or on the front page of a, of a report you need to have it formatted in a particular way and in the same way that um, in uh, in HTML, in order to break lines, you would use the br tag. Mm -hmm. And if you are writing in Markdown, you have to put this is one this is one of the things that I don't like about Markdown. Uh, one of the few things I don't like about Markdown is that in order to do a line break, you put at least two spaces at the end of, of a line. Uh, and that way, it, it you know the things don't you get a line break, and uh, LaTeX has a similar thing. It's two backslashes, and then a, and then a carriage return or a new line, and so every line in an address, a name and address, uh, you know, it's John Q Public at uh, whatever the name of the company is, and then the and then the street address, and then the city and state. Um, they all have to have line breaks, and so. Contacts, of course, does not have these backslashes in the, in it. Um, so my what I needed was a way to look up somebody in contacts and be able to say, "Give me a latexified version of that address with all of the backslashes that are needed in there, and put that on the uh, uh, on the clipboard so that I can just paste it into my report." And so I did that uh, first in shortcuts because I've been writing more and more of my stuff on, on an iPad lately. And so I did that first in shortcuts. And then, uh, and I had had a, uh, 
a system for getting a latexified name and address on my Mac for many years, but it was kind of clunky and not, not the best system in the world. And so ultimately I decided, well, I need to do this on the Mac that works almost as almost the same way where I would look something up in shortcuts and then hit, hit some key combination and bingo on my clipboard is the latexified uh, version of the name and address. And, and so I wrote it and it ended up being uh, keyboard maestro because I like keyboard maestro and it has some Apple script in it because Apple script is the, one of the easiest ways to get into contacts, the contacts app. Uh, I could have done it in a JavaScript uh, JXA thing, but I would, I just found uh, Apple script to be easier. And so ultimately I, so now I have these two, two little automations that are parallel to one another. For me, they do, they work almost the same way. Uh, My steps are very similar, but what goes on behind the scenes is very different. I mean, what actually happens, of course, is is very, very similar because they're getting information out of the contacts and uh, doing some uh, reformatting of it, of the text, but using different programs to do it, you, uh, and then this was a situation where I wasn't working in drafts. I usually don't write my reports in drafts. Uh, I write in Textastic because it has a really nice uh, LaTeX uh, syntax highlighting. So uh, I didn't have the opportunity to write one thing in drafts and have it work on both platforms. So I had to I had to split up the platforms. I had to use different techniques. Done that, I, you know, I had to render onto, C, onto Caesar. So, uh, oh look, uh, I'm going to do something in iOS. That means shortcuts, right? Uh, because it's going, I'm going to be mixing things. I've got to mix the clipboard. I've got to mix contacts and uh, and textastic. That means shortcuts. Similarly, on uh, on the Mac, I'm going to be uh, mixing up. Uh, looking things up in contacts and then ultimately pasting things into BB edit. And so what I need is the easiest way to put things together is keyboard maestro. And because there was some, there was some tricky stuff in here. Uh, I dropped down into Apple script to do one of the keyboard maestro steps. As I say, that basically does two things. It looks up, it gets the name, the company, the street address of the contact that I am looking at right now, the one that I have searched and found. And it puts a little text block together and puts it on the clipboard. Now, there are some niceties in there, uh, little tricks that need to be done. For one thing, LaTeX does not like ampersands. Ampersand is a special character in LaTeX. And because a lot of my clients who are law firms uh, or other companies that are of, uh, you know, firms in which they have a series of names of people, uh, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, they use ampersands. And so ampersands are a special character in LaTeX. They have to be escaped with a backslash. So my program looks for ampersands using regular expressions. And and uh, actually, I'm not even sure it needs to look use regular expressions that just searches for ampersands and puts a backsplash in in front of every ampersand. It looks for line endings and puts two backslashes at every line ending. 
the last thing it does is that it looks in the formatted address and checks to see if the last line is USA. And because I, I have international clients as well, although most of my clients are in the US, I do have international clients, but I don't need to put USA at the end of an address when it's in the USA. So it looks for that as the last line of the formatted address. And if it's there and it says USA, it, it just gets rid of it. Very simple logic, not, not much to it. Uh, it's like uh, six steps of contacts. And it's, uh, I don't know how many lines of AppleScript it is. It's like 18 lines of AppleScript. AppleScript's not the most compact language in it's the not, world. It's not very concise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is fact, not. It, that's kind of the point, is that it's verbose, actually, I think. It's, that's, what, that's the whole English-like part of it, right? It's, yeah. it, AppleScript is one of those languages that's easy to read, hard to write, but easy to read, very easy to read, usually. You, you can read AppleScript and say, oh, I know what it does. And then you try to write something that does something just a little bit different. And what the hell? It's not, it's not working. Um, so that's what these two things do. They are, they, they work in parallel. I, you know, finally put these two together in a, in a nice parallel way only earlier this year. I had been kind of messing around with different techniques and sometimes doing it. My God, I did it by hand. Sometimes I would just paste the the name and address in my, in my text thing and then go through and add all the backslashes that I needed to do. Well, that's a horrible thing to have to do. And not only is it a horrible thing to do, I would forget to do it correctly. I would skip lines. I would forget to back uh, to backslash the uh, the ampersands. I just and then I would create my report or my proposal or whatever it was. And as I was proofreading, I would say, "Oh crap! I screwed this up." And because I forgot to do something that's very simple, mindless little thing of making these little fiddly edit changes. Now I have a system on both platforms that does exactly what I want. It does it perfectly every time. And I don't have to think about these fiddly little things anymore. And that's what automation is all about for me. It's, it's not just that it saves me time. It is that it, it does it right because I do things wrong so often. I know how to do them right, but I forget. Yeah. It's funny to me with this one, from your description, it sounds like this was actually easier to do on iOS than it was on Mac. Yeah, it definitely was because um, digging into contacts in AppleScript is a little bit of uh, a pain in the butt uh, because you can have so many uh, addresses for a person. Yeah. For some, one of the great things about the folks who did shortcuts and workflow ahead of it is they gave you the boxes to put to put into your shortcut that do a lot of stuff. They have they, these are very, it's shortcuts ability to work with contacts is very powerful and it's better than Apple scripts. It's more compact. It's it's you you see it and you know oh this is exactly what I'm doing. And so it was very easy for me to assemble this reformatted uh, thing in shortcuts, whereas it took a little bit more doing in, in Apple script. I would argue that it's easier to work with contacts and automation on the iPhone than any platform on the Mac. I, cause I tried to do it in keyboard maestro recently and I ended up falling into Apple script because keyboard maestro also really doesn't have good tools for working with contacts. 
And yeah. so I ended up just writing an, an Apple script for a big chunk of that automation and just embedding it in a keyboard maestro script that did some other things. Um, so yeah, contacts is one of those hairy areas on the Mac where I think that they could do a lot better. And and the tools were almost there. Like if, if Al, uh, I'm sorry, if Sal had just been able to get, um, the team to get, you know, auto, the automator to like plug into contacts better. And I know he tried, you know, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. And it's always been, uh, there, there are certain, uh, certain, uh, apps that Apple script is really good at. I, I suspect that the reason that keyboard maestro isn't better at handling contacts is because underlying it, yeah. Apple script and Apple events just aren't great for, for handling the contacts database. Uh, there are some apps that uh, Apple script is exceptionally good at, and you can just, you can kind of fly through it. Contacts is not one of them. Unfortunately, you can do it though. You can do it. Absolutely. You can. It just takes a little more time. And you know, the, the key to me, of course, the key indication when I'm writing an Apple script and I know that it's, this is not something that really, and I kind of, you're often forced into Apple script because it's the only game in town, but you kind of wish, you kind of know that you're pushing Apple script in a a way that it shouldn't be pushed. Um, Whenever I have to set Apple scripts, text item delimiters, if you are an Apple script programmer and you have to, you use this thing called Apple scripts, text item delimiters, you know you're doing something that you really wish you hadn't, you weren't, shouldn't be, you weren't, weren't going to do. There'd it's, be dragons. It, you're in trouble. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh my God. Every time I have to do that, I think, go oh crap, Apple script, you're so bad at text. Why mm-hmm. are you doing this? Well, it wasn't necessarily built to handle text. I mean, as, as we talked about earlier, some languages and some automation tools are better for, for some things than others. But every so often you, you're there and you're, you've got something and you're almost done in one language and you end up with this somewhat ugly looking, what did I do here? Should I have done this? Let's not talk about this anymore. I'm going to pretend this part of my script or automation doesn't exist because, wow, that's kind of scary to look at. But it works. So, you know, it's okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I come to this point whenever I see text item delimiters in one of my Apple scripts, I think, should I just rewrite this in a different language? Um, and, and nowadays, of course, JavaScript can help you out with that. Because you can actually rewrite your Apple script as a JavaScript program and it can do all those things. But usually by the time I get to that point, like in this script um, uh, that, that does this, it's like the second to last line. And by that time, I have done so much work. And okay, yeah, this is ugly and it's not elegant, but it's just one line and I'm almost done. I'm just going to leave it here and, and walk away. It works. I'm walking away from it. It'll be fine. You know, it's funny to me is both of you have commented several times about how you don't like having ugly automation. And for whatever reason, I don't care if it gets the job done. I don't care how <laughs> ugly it is. And I'm not even embarrassed to put it on the internet. You look at some of the stuff I've published at Max Sparky over the years, you must be rolling your eyes when you look at it. But, you know, it gets it over the goal line and I can get on with work. I'm done. And, uh, I, I guess that's one thing where I just don't care. I, maybe because I'm not a formal programmer, I don't have any pride in my code. <laughs> but but ugly is fine so long as it works. Did you read, uh, have you ever read 
uh, the Steve Jobs interview, I think it was in Playboy magazine when the when the Mac first came out, and and Steve is talking about how you don't piece, put a piece of ugly plywood at the back of a drawer yeah. if you are uh, if you're a cabinet maker who cares about your work. Yeah, and of course that's wrong, right? If you if you want to get the if you need that chest of drawers built and you and you need to use well. Put an ugly piece, and you've got an ugly piece of uh, wood around you. Yeah, you put that in there, and uh, especially if you're doing it for yourself as opposed to something for sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I think uh, Rosemary and I are just worried about the bad piece of plywood at the back of the drawer. I still put it there. Mm. It just bo- it, it, but it does bother me, and I keep thinking, well, next time I'll 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 use a better piece of wood at the back of the drawer. For me, when I, when I say ugly scripting, a lot of what I'm, I'm concerned about with my automations is when I come back at this in six months because I want to expand it or there's a problem with it, am I going to be able to fix this? Like, Have I left enough clear information and signposts that I'm going to be able to come back and, and, and figure out what I'm doing here? Um, and for this reason, I don't like using like two letter names for variables and things like that. I would much rather write the full name of the variable, say, for example, David Sparks instead of DS or DD for Dr. Drang. No, I'm better off writing Dr. Drang because then when I'm looking at this later, I don't need to, a dictionary to figure this out. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I'll just use L for line because it's. <laughs> it's easier and there's three less characters to type and it happens but i can always do a find your replace later to fix that if necessary so um you know it, it, it's one of those things where sometimes you know everybody has their own personal set of good practices that they try and adhere to right um whether it's you know like making sure that you you have everything ready for your day in the morning or writing an automation in a specific style and format um you know that's that's what people do um and you know i i sometimes break my own rules but that's okay if you if you're happy to do it then by all means and if you're if you're there going (laughs) should i have this rule i would say variable naming is a good rule to have good give your variables good names but aside from that your code can be as ugly as you like see now here's here's where we differ because i i am mr one one character or two character variable names and it and it's because i think i have uh it's because of my bad training with fortran first i i start i learned how to program on a key punch machine well you you do not want to work on a key punch machine it's a terrible thing to do you make a mistake and you have to redo the whole damn card so you type as little as you possibly can also in my day, Fortran back in those days, um, distinguished between integer variables and floating point var- variables based on the first character of the name. Uh, if if the first character of the variable name was I through N, it was an integer. <laughs> and otherwise, it was floating point. So these terrible habits from working with an inferior programming language uh, back, back in the 70s have have allowed me to write programs where I am not embarrassed about short variable names. Mm. It is funny how that, that changes you that just because of that first experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's stuck with me. I know nothing else about Fortran. I cannot remember a goddamn thing about Fortran except, uh, I through N. Mm-hmm. Well, I is a useful variable. So this episode of automators is brought to you by text expander from our friends at smile. Text Expander boosts your business productivity by allowing your team to communicate smarter, faster, and more consistently across all your channels. The app is built with collaboration in mind, 
so you don't have to reinvent common email and message replies every time you need them, just store them in TextExpander instead. I discovered TextExpander about 10 years ago, and some of the snippets I use the most frequently are simple little things like making sure my email is spelled correctly, as well as my name, because there's nothing worse than an incorrect name at the end of an email. I also use it for more complex fill-in snippets to make sure that I've got all the text that I need in some of my fabulous project templates. I recommend Text Expander to anybody who types a lot and reuses elements of their text, especially if they share it with others. It can help you with everything from project management to simple email. And you can use your snippets anywhere you type. Slack, Trello, Google Docs, email, web browsers, any place you frequently type the same things. And Text Expander for Teams makes it easy to manage and share snippets across your entire company. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And automated listeners get an extra 20% off in their first year. Visit TextExpander.com to learn more about Text Expander. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, uh, Dr. Drang, uh, one of the other things you do a lot is terminal stuff. And I know you had one you wanted to share with us today that is a terminal based command, but it is like the automator, you know, golden ticket. So explain this one to us. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Well, this is an automation from hell, but <laughs> this is, um, this particular version of it is, I believe, about 15 years old. Well, I mean, when it, when it got started, it has been changing over the years as I've added things to it. And it is a successor to a, to a very similar uh, but somewhat simpler automation that I start that I started in the in the late nineties, um, and in in the late nineties and in the early two thousands, I was running Linux instead of the Mac, and so I needed terminal based stuff, and uh, because it worked, I have maintained it as a terminal based uh, program ever since, and what it what it is is. Uh, it is a way for me to automate the setup of a new client project at work. So I get a call, phone call. I have a new project that, and so I have um, this. This may take longer to explain than it's worth, but anyway, I have a folder on my Mac called Projects, and inside it are a bunch of folders with all of my current projects. And in fact, a few projects that aren't current, but which I have not cleaned up yet. And those have the names, uh, those folders are all named based on the name of the project. So, uh, you know, Patoni building or whatever it happens to be. Um, and then inside those folders, the folder for each individual project, there will be a folder for photographs. There will be a folder for my invoices. There perhaps will be a folder. Once upon a time, there was a folder for correspondence when I actually did paper correspondence with clients. Don't do that anymore. It's all email. Um, and in addition to that, I create a um, an entry in a database that includes the project name, the project number, our accounting system at work, assigns a project number to each new project. So I have to name, number, uh, the client's name, the client's email address, um, what other things? Oh, it, it, also this database includes the name of the folder 
that is within the projects folder where all the uh, information goes. It also includes, for historical reasons, an entry called box, which is back in the old days, uh, all of my work was done on paper and everything that the client sent me was on paper. And so I accumulated a lot of paper and we had file cabinets full of paper for all of our projects. And when a project was finished, in order to conserve file cabinet space, I would pull all the stuff out. I'd throw certain things away, but the things that I wanted to preserve would go into a box (laughs) and that box would have a number written on it and it would go into storage, into long-term storage. So box is is the number so I can go back and find old stuff. I have almost never used that in 25 years of being in this business. I've almost never used that, but there it is. It's in my database. I have a similar collection of boxes. I have moving boxes <laughs> with numbers on them. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. system still it's, works. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun thing. So this automation, which is called New Projects, New Project, singular, is a Python script that asks me, Uh, to enter a series of things at the terminal. So it asks me the project name. It asks me the project number. It asks me where, what full, what's the name of the folder that all the stuff is going to go into. It asks me what the name of the client is. Now here is something where uh, then it then may ask me, or it may not ask me what the client's email address is. And the, one of the things that I'm most proud about on, on this program is that if I type in the client's name and it's a client that's already in my contacts, it doesn't ask me for the email address because it already knows it. It just fills it into the database directly. Uh, then it asks me, it doesn't ask me for the box because when I start a project out, it doesn't, it doesn't have a box number. Um, oh, and then it asks me where... I'll, you know, I'm going to get to that later. Let's 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 leave let's leave it for okay. that. So, it then because that's that's even that's an even weirder part of this uh, script. So this is written in Python, but so if it's written in Python, how does it access contacts? Mm. Well, it does it through AppleScript. Of course, it does. Python, of course, it does. And I actually have written. Within Python, this Python script, I have AppleScript written in there, and my Python program runs AppleScript through the OSA script uh, command that comes with uh, with Apple with uh, with the Mac. So long ago, many years ago, I wrote uh, to, to sort of automate that, so I didn't have to think about how to do that anymore. I wrote a Python uh, library called AppleScript, and it has basically uh, just a couple of uh, couple of commands and one of them is called as run AppleScript run so it takes a it takes a string and runs it as if it were an AppleScript and then returns the result so that's how I run AppleScript from within Python and I think that that gets done once or twice in this in this code so one of the things it does it, it uh, uses uh, SQL Lite to create this database. It also uses Airtable because at one time I thought I was going to move from SQL Lite to to Airtable, but I wasn't quite sure. So now it it ends up adding a database entry to both of them because I can't make up my mind which one I want to use. 
So it creates all the folders that I want to create within the projects uh, folder. It then creates a folder in mail for this project. And that's also done through an Apple script that's run via Python. And uh, the final thing it does is it asks me where I, uh, it asks me for a, for a position for labels. I still do have certain paper files for all of my projects. And so this script ultimately makes a PDF file and opens it in preview where the labels on an Avery, I think it's a 5161 uh, label, where the labels are going to go. Now, uh, this 5161 has, I think, 20 labels per sheet. Mm -hmm. And I usually only print out two of them. So, you know, I'm not going to waste a whole sheet of 20 labels. I, I print them out. Then I, okay, I print out the first two. And then, okay, next one, I'll print out the next one. So the script asks me where on the label sheet, which row and column do I start putting these, these labels on? And so that's the last thing it asked me. And so ultimately, when, I, when, I, when this is done, I have a, a new folder in uh, mail. I have a new folder on my computer within the projects folder, and then a couple of subfolders within that. Uh, and then I have this uh, preview has popped up with the layout for a couple of new labels that I will use for keeping track of my paper fi files on this project. And then I just send that off to the printer. I say print, manual feed. I walk over to the printer. I put this, I put a piece of paper in. Some labels have already been printed, but this knows where those were and prints it out in the right spot. So I can then uh, peel off those labels and put them on a file folder. And then I am done. And this is very similar to things that uh, it's, it's more complicated and, and stupider than a lot of the things that Jason Snell does. But Jason does a lot of things. He has talked about this and written about it uh, on Six Colors, where he has essentially templates for creating new projects, whether it's a podcast or whatever it is, that sort of create a folder and a bunch of subfolders for his project. Uh, for a podcast project, for example, this does the same thing. It just does it with regular folders. It doesn't, it, and, and it's doing it and it does an email thing and it does these other things and it does the database stuff. The database stuff, by the way, is, is because I search on projects in order to write out, uh, when I send out invoices, it looks through the database to figure out who to send the invoice for to, uh, which is another automation we don't want to get into. So this automation started as a Perl script back in the late 90s. At some point when I, uh, I decided I wanted to make it much more complicated than it was, I think at that point, all it did was make the folders. I decided I wanted to do something more complicated. I wanted to start using databases. I wanted to start making things more helpful to me, do more stuff without me having to do more stuff. And so I rewrote it because Python had become my favorite programming language at that time. Somewhere around 2005, 2006, I wrote it from, rewrote it from scratch in Python with all of these things in it. Well, not all of these things. 
I had it started off with, you know, making out the folders. Then I added the database stuff. Then, oh, you know what? I need to be able to make that folder in uh, in mail for all my correspondence on the on the email correspondence on the project. Oh, and then I wanted to. Then I added Airtable, and then I took Airtable out. Oh, I want to make these labels. Hey, you know what? Back sometime in 1997, I wrote a Perl script that makes uh, that makes labels wherever I want them to. So all I have to do in Python is to call that Perl script. So I do. So ultimately, this this is a terrible. I don't want to be scaring off your your listeners here, but this is a Python script that calls both AppleScript and Perl before it's done. And it is my, it is the ugliest script I have ever written because I have never gone back to rewrite it in in its entirety since 2005, 2006, but it saves me so much time when I am starting up a new project. It does everything for me. I have, I have learned what I need to do and what I don't need to do when a project starts. And I type, I open up terminal, actually terminals always running. I just open up a new window. I type in new project. It asks me for everything because I don't trust myself to remember everything I need to enter. It asks me for everything. And when it's done, I am finished. I have my labels. I have my database. I have my folders set up. I have my email folder set up. Everything is done. And I am ready to start adding things to the project as my client starts sending me information. Yeah. You know, I have a similar script for new clients as well. Mine starts out in keyboard maestro and it runs off to OmniVocus and it goes out to Zapier and does stuff, <laughs> but, but what it doesn't do, yeah. it doesn't ask me where on the Avery paper, the label gets printed. So I think well, you that's... win. <laughs> David, I, you've lost that competition by a good couple of miles. By wow. a hair. No, yeah. no, no. That's just, that's just, that's very small. You could do it. You could do it. Yeah, but I, I don't print labels, so I don't need to. But still, you don't I, print labels. No, but you it, actually I'm, you write them by hand. Uh, what do I need a label for? Oh my god! Because it looks cool. It's the, for the for the same reason. I don't uh, want physical that, paper. For this, uh, well, I I can't help it. You, wait, wait a minute. You have a notebook. You write in a notebook. Yeah, that's you, different. You're Mr. But, Paper but now. A, a client gives me a document. I scan it and I send the original back to him immediately or her. I oh. I just I don't want possession of your paper. I usually don't get paper from client. There are there are a few clients I do have. I have an 80 year old client who is still sends me paper. God love her. Um, so I, I still need that, and I'm certainly not going to scan that and send it back to her. That would be terrible. Yeah, my my 80 year old client is the <laughs> one client that I have to put a tie on when I meet her every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I don't get a lot of paper from clients anymore. That is true, but I do still write notes to myself on paper as I'm going through things, uh, because even as when I'm writing a program, I will write little notes to myself um, to make sure that I've got. Or when I'm looking through drawings, I've got the scale right of the drawing and things like that. Just there are just little things that are, I think, possibly because of my age and, and my experiences. But there are still there are things that I still prefer to do on paper, even when I'm sitting right in front of a computer mm-hmm. doing one thing. I will make notes to myself on, on a piece of paper, and those things all have to go in. They they all go into the file. There. So Apple makes this product doctor it's called the information phone they're up to number 12 
And you can download a program, a specialized program. They're called apps. It's called Scan no. Pro Plus. And you write down on the paper and then you literally take a picture of it and it saves it to that folder you created and you're good. I, I actually, I, I do all of those things. I still scan it and I put it in, in and I put it in that folder. Okay. That, that was, I do all those things, but I still keep the paper. Oh man, I got over the paper a long time ago. My scan, my shredder and me have an intimate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, so I, uh, so my, my paper files used to be like a foot thick yeah. easily on, on projects. Now it's down, it's one folder. It's one of those folders that does not expand. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk a little but bit I, though. But I still keep it. I, I still you, keep you, the paper. One of the steps you mentioned and uh, you also referred to Mr. Snell, but it's the idea of auto-creating a set of folders when you set up a new project. And I'm not yeah. sure all our listeners are going to go write the, the terminal thing you've done, but I no. think a lot of people would probably like the ability to do that. And I was wondering, how are the two of you doing that? I mean, if to the extent you're doing, I don't know if you're doing it at all, Rose, but um, that simple step of saying, here's a new project, uh, create a hierarchy of folders for me in this place. Well, I'm I'm going to go with a non-scripting answer, if that's allowed, David, and with a keyboard yeah. maestro and shortcuts, depending on which platform I'm on. Um, now, what I've been experimenting with recently is putting all of the formats uh, for the structure in DataJar um, and then processing that. Um, and I've, I've just been running everything through shortcuts, um, which is great and it works really well and I, I like it. Um, and then some other things. So, for example, uh, when I'm doing podcast recordings, I've recently modified my my setup so that whenever we sit down to record, I press a button on my stream deck um, and it pops up and it asks me what's the episode number. Um, and then it opens Audio Hijack and Google Docs and Airtable and everything for me um, and Skype. And then when I finish recording, Keyboard Maestro is watching the folder where, where the episodes get saved and it pops up and double checks the episode number with me in case I had canceled earlier and then renames those three uh, files. Uh, that's a recording of me, a recording of just, in this case, the two of you, and then uh, a recording of all of us together just to make life a little easier for our lovely editor. Um, and then it just moves those into the folder for me. Um, but that's all done with Keyboard Maestro. I think Jason, you can, people go look at six colors, Jason, and, and search on template. But uh, I think Jason uses, uh, I think he uses Apple Script for some of this. And I don't, I think what he does is copy a template of folders and subfolders and subfolders, yeah. moves it into a certain place and then renames the, the top level folder. Um, I, that's certainly the smart way to do it. Of course, I don't do it that way because I'm, I'm already deep into Python yeah. bef- be in my script before doing that. I use, uh, I just have a few lines of Python uh, there is a um, a library in Python called OS uh, for doing operating system type stuff, and one of its commands is called make durs. And so, I take the the folder name that I had asked that the script had asked me to enter when I first started it, and it makes a folder with that name inside the projects folder using this make durs command. And then it makes the invoices and the photos and whatever other folders, notes, folders, or whatever else I need basically in just a bunch of other, uh, a few other lines of code. So it's, you know, it's, 
it's actually uh, it's three lines of code, as it turns out. So it's it's really not that big a deal, although it does seem kind of stupid to do it that way instead of just copying something. Yeah, I, I kind of go through a process where for a while I manually make folders that say the same thing over and over again until my brain's like, oh, wait a second. You have a podcast <laughs> called The Automators, right? <laughs> yes, and then the yes. next level is yeah. I'll say they templated set just like at the top or the bottom of a directory, like you have a client directory, there'd be one at the bottom that says XX, you know, directory structure. Mm-hmm. And you could just duplicate that command D and then change the root folder name, which is probably the fastest automation for that. Um, yep. in, in honesty, <laughs> but the, uh, but then I, I, I wrote it into an Apple script and a keyboard master script because then it becomes part of the overall, Hey, new client thing create a set of folders in this directory that have these subdirectories and and that that's that feels really great that's the kind of automation i love where just like you it's just a great feeling to know that every folder is in the place it needs to be so when i go to save something like i have a bunch of other automation that automatically saves emails and notes to client folders well what if the email folder isn't there well if i ran that script it's always there yeah exactly and and you know, the reason this is still essentially a, a command line program is because because of the way I work, terminal is always open. Yeah. And it it's almost no more effort for me to open up a new window if there was isn't one already opened, uh, and terminal window that's already opened, and just and I type in new project. And you know, okay, I, I'm typing. I suppose a keyboard shortcut might be a little bit better or grabbing something or, a, you know, a menu command, but there's something, and of course I've been doing this for many years now, there's something about sitting down with my hands on the keyboard and typing in the word new project that focuses my mind on, okay, I'm going to be asked a bunch of things now, not that many things, but I'm going to be asked a few things. It's time for me to type these things in. And I kind of have to type them in, you know, the project name, the project number, and the name of the folder and the name of the client, these are all things I would probably have to type in anyway. So it, 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 it doesn't, that one little step of typing in new project sort of gets me in the mode of using my keyboard instead of the mouse and gets me, gets me ready to put in that other information. Yeah. No, it, there, there is, there is one other slightly clever piece of programming in here, which is that, I can type my client's name in a lot of different formats and it still manages to find it. And that's partly because Apple script has some cool ways of searching for people uh, in your contacts database. I would also assume that because you've been at that script for so long, that some of the tools we talk about on the show didn't exist when you wrote this stuff. So. Oh God. Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, frankly, you know, the first version of it, well, no, even the Python version, I wasn't using an, I wasn't using a Mac yeah. at that time. <laughs> it was getting the contact information out of a, out of a completely different thing. And so when I moved back to the Mac in, in 2006, 2005, 2006, whatever that was, um, I had to rip out the old part and put in a new part. Uh, and, and that was when I started, telling myself, you know, this mixing of AppleScript and Python is silly, but it really does work. Mm. So, yeah, that's 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 how that came about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was, I didn't have Keyboard Maestro when I started using this. I, and as I say, I wasn't even using a Mac 
when I started doing this. I, I have just remembered, we had Don McAllister on the show, I think it was episode 35, and he was talking about an app called Post Haste, which for people who just want to do like a folder structure with template files, like this is another way of doing it. And that runs on Mac and PC. So for people who have been, you know, perhaps uh, put on Windows at work, or maybe they're voluntarily using it at home, that's okay. We, we welcome all kinds of automators here. Um, you know, there, there, there are lots of ways that you can do this. And it, it's amazing, you know, simple thing template of folders how many different ways you can solve that problem because there are lots but it's so ripe for automation because it is an absolute waste of time to do that manually yeah it and and you will do it wrong if you if you trust yourself to put in all the subfolders that you need oh yeah let me put it this way i will do it wrong i will forget i will forget to make the folder for the for my mail I will forget to make the folder for the invoices until now I have an invoice. And of course I have an automation for invoices for invoicing. And it's looking for a folder called invoicing uh, for the, eh. no, use the templates. However you want to use templates, use them so that you don't keep making these silly mistakes because you're thinking about something else. It's so, none of it is mentally engaging. Writing the automation is mentally engaging, but doing the things that the automation does does not engage your brain. And you start thinking about a baseball game or how you're going to get home from work or what you need to make for supper or do you have to pick up groceries or anything else other than what you are supposed to be focusing on. Because what you're what you're supposed to be focusing on is mindless and your brain rejects focusing on it and starts wandering off and you end up screwing up. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN, high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services. Get three months for free with a one-year package. Just go to expressvpn.com automators. I think it's fair to say we all want to browse the internet without the rest of the world knowing what we're doing. And yeah, we all know about incognito windows, but we also know those don't even really work. With incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced. It doesn't matter where you get your internet from, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. And that's why you need ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers, so your internet service provider can't see the sites you visit. It's available on all your devices, iPhones, Macs, even your smart TV, so there's no excuse for you to not be using it. I've been an ExpressVPN subscriber for years now, and I love the simplicity of the service. With all of their apps, there's just a single button. You press it, and then you're secure. When I'm on someone else's Wi-Fi, it gives me a lot of peace of mind to turn that button on and know that nobody can be reading my traffic or doing other creepy things to me. So go ahead and protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Go to expressvpn.com slash automators, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-O-R-S, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash automators to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for protecting us and sponsoring the automators. I want to talk about something that kind of sparked in my mind as you were just finishing up that last segment. And this is a common complaint with automation. And that is, you know, the time invested versus the time gained argument. And that is one that uh, Rose and I hear about from listeners all the time. And 
And anytime I speak about automation, someone always walks up to me afterwards and saying, well, you know, how much time did you actually save versus how much did you spend writing this crazy script? And uh, I have thoughts on it, but I was curious what yours are. My thoughts are um, that uh, that XKCD cartoon that talks about this famously, whenever anybody wants to uh, uh, complain to you that you're spending too much time on making your automation as compared to the time you save, they will link to this XKCD uh, uh, cartoon that is a graph. And everybody's seen it. Everybody who's who's on Automators has seen it. I'm sure you'll put it in the, po- in the show oh, notes yeah. as well. It's already there. I, I mean, <laughs> to hell with that. I, screw that. That's That's... Automation, yes, there's no question. Automation is in part about saving time. But to me, as I have gotten older and and find myself doing what I was just saying before you went into the break, uh, making mistakes because my mind is wandering because I, I've done this, I've made a, I've done this so many times, whatever it is that I'm automating, I have done it so many times, I cannot possibly keep my mind on it and so i make mistakes because it's so easy i make mistakes because it's easy not because it's hard um and so to me that's the more important part of automation excuse me is the consistency that comes from doing things through automation it gets done the same way every time and it gets done right if i've done the automation right at least uh it gets done right every time and i don't do things right every time uh, I do things wrong because my mind wanders. So I, I, the automation fixes that. The other thing is I like making automations. And one of the re- and so it's not, uh, it's not a burden to me to make one. I don't feel bad about making them. I like them. And the fact that I make an automation, even if it doesn't save me much time, means that I'm better and faster the next time I have to make an automation. I am keeping my my mental tools sharp by making automations. It's easy to forget how to use certain programming languages or certain tools on your computer automation tools uh, if you're not doing it regularly. You have other things to think about. You have your family to think about. You have your, uh, your work to think about if you're not a professional automator. Um, and so things go out of your head because you're just not doing them on a regular basis. So finding things to automate keeps me sharp, keeps my automation skills sharper so that when I really need to do something, not related to what we've been talking about today, but when I really need to write a program for work that will truly, truly save me a ton of time and therefore save my clients a ton of time and will do the work accurately in a way that would be very difficult for me to do when I have a huge amount of data to sift through. When that time comes, I am sharp. I have the uh, the automation tools sort of at my fingertips, at my mental fingertips, ready to go because I've been doing things that maybe many people would think are a waste of time. Yeah. I mean, Amen to all that. And and I would also add that building automations, for me at least, quite often the first one takes a while, but so often I repurpose that first one. You know, just the the silly folder automation, right? 
Uh, I built that for taking on new legal clients, but now I have a version of that that sets up a new field guide and I have a version that sets up a new podcast. And, you know, you know, everybody has a lot of different things they do in their life. And, you know, once you built that first one, it's so, it's just trivial to repurpose it. And the skills you learn along the way, all of a sudden open up your mind to other ideas. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Yeah. I was just talking to a lawyer friend of mine. Um, I've been out on my own now. I'm a solo attorney now for five years. And he was saying, I can't believe you don't have a full-time secretary because he knows the number of clients I have and what I do. And he's like, he's like, you are costing yourself so much money because you're doing all that admin work. The secretary would be much cheaper. I'm like, but I'm not doing the work. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I have people that I hire to help me with parts of the law practice, but I don't have people to do admin work for me because all that stuff is handled through automation. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is everybody else in my industry, it's just inconceivable though, to them that you don't have somebody there that you boss around to do this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, uh, I similarly, uh, I, you know, when I, when I left the company that I was, uh, working at 25 or so years ago and few of us started a new business, but we've never had a secretary. Uh, we do have, we have a bookkeeper who comes in because we can't do any of that stuff conveniently or we, we wouldn't do it well. Uh, and so we do have things like that, that, that we, people we rely, we rely on, but we don't have a secretary and it's be, to a large extent, it's for the same reasons you do. I mean, we end, we type our own reports. We've all, we were always doing that. And a lot of this has happened has has happened because of the rise of the internet has made things much easier to not have a secretary yeah because you can book your travel so you know the time it takes you to tell your secretary what you want to do and how you want to do it you can just you can have it done yeah by then and uh, and then of course there's all the automations that that i have for doing this administrative work and getting out my invoices and following up on my invoices uh, when they haven't been paid because clients sometimes don't pay their invoices when they're supposed to. It's a terrible thing. Um, You never have that problem, do you, David? Uh, Well, automation, you know, if somebody's (laughs) late, they start getting a nagging email. Well, yes. And then after a month I get, I get noticed that they haven't paid. And then I call, you know, the guys with the lead pipes, they go get the money. <laughs> it's real easy. I, I remember for anybody who's interested, Dr. Drang, you, last time you were on the automators, you told us about how your, your nagging invoice follow-up system. Um, and it was really interesting how you use, uh, you know, reminders and everything else for that, um, you know, to, to do it without yeah. using invoicing software specifically. Um, so if anybody is interested in that, you should pop back to that episode and check that out. Saves me a lot of time, and it's and I have found since I've as I have tightened the screws on my clients and have been more proactive in following up on unpaid invoices, they pay more quickly. Mm-hmm. Funny how that is. Rose, how do you handle um, that question of time invested versus time gained? Automation is a hobby, so I'm I'm going to spend my time doing something, whether that's playing games on Nintendo Switch, uh, moving between countries. Uh, planning holidays, you know, doing a variety of things. I figure that, you know, as long as I'm enjoying myself and I get the result that I'm after, 
um, it's a good investment of time because if I'm looking at this versus, you know, a variety of other hobbies available to me, it's certainly a lot cheaper um, than others. And as you said, David, you know, it replaces things like having a secretary. Like, why do I need a secretary when I have a system that does all of this stuff for me? Um, you know, I get a new screencast online project uh, sent to me um, where I have to make a screencast and it's like, whoa, that would be a lot of work to set up, like 30 minutes or I can just run a shortcut. And now I don't even run a shortcut. I have Zapier, a trigger push cut automation server, which runs my shortcut for me. Like, that's it. Um, you know, and I, I've, I've figured this stuff out and it's fun. So even if I spend perhaps more time on it overall than the task takes or will ever take, then I just keep the fact that it's going to be more accurate in my head. And as long as I enjoyed myself building it, you know, it doesn't matter, right? That's, that's what I think. I think that's real. The answer is just own it. I mean, when I think about it, like there's people who like to make, to do the New York times crossword. Mm -hmm. I like to build automations and, uh, and I think it keeps my mind spry. I think one of the tricks to it, um, I know for me, it can be a massive rabbit hole I fall into. So, um, when I identify a problem, when I say, Hey, I've been making these folders manually too long. I need to automate that. I do not, I have a rule that I'm not allowed to stop and automate it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just create an omni-focus task and if I'm really serious about it, I'll block some time and, and, and plan for it. Yep. Um, I, I, otherwise I am the type that would at the end of the day say, oh, I automated four things and I did absolutely zero deliverable work today. Yeah, that, that is definitely a danger. I, I've had some stuff come up at work this week where it's like, we need to fix this. And my instinct is I'm going to write a script to fix this so that whenever we need to do this again in the future, we can just run the script. And then it's like, actually, you know what? Sometimes that's not the right solution. The right solution is that we should just, you know, do this um, now and go into the database and delete those what that one rogue record manually and wait and see if it actually happens again. I will say that some of my favorite time spent automating is when I know damn well I should be doing billable work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I am, yeah. I'm not fooling myself. That's, that's not, I am honest with myself. I am yeah. looking and saying, okay, I should be working for this on this project. Um, but I don't really want to work on this project right now. So at least I'm doing something interesting with my time instead of i i don't know what what else i would be doing so, you know wandering around on twitter i suppose would yeah. be one thing that you or can in, do or in our forums oh yes well that's always time well spent oh by the way that was a great idea when you mentioned that um that you have kind of backed off twitter as twitter has become a hostile environment and you're spending more time in the mpu forums and the automators forums man i need to do that as well i thanks for the tip on that it's nice and you get to be, uh, you get helped and you get to be helpful. That's very seldom the case on Twitter. Yeah. Very <laughs> rude. Well, Dr. Drang, where do people find you? People find me nowadays pretty much only at leancrew.com where my uh, blog and now it's all this. I, I, am, I am the worst person at internet branding. My domain name is not my my name, and my blog's name is not the name of the domain name either. Yeah. And it's all it's all a mess. But leancrew.com, L-E-A-N-C-R-E-W.com, and that's where virtually everything I do is nowadays. Um, and I kind of you can look through there to see how much how much work 
I have at my real job by <laughs> by how often I'm posting. Yeah, and then when you get to linkrew.com, then the name of the blog is the John Lennon quote, right? And so, now it's all this. Yeah, yes. So nothing. Not, not, yeah, I, I, you know, it's a good thing I don't try to make money off the internet because I'm miserable at it. Yeah. Well, either way, uh, you are a treasure, and all of us automators like. Having your post, not only do I enjoy your automation post, I like it when you explain why the bolt failed on your lawnmower. So just keep doing <laughs> what you're doing. And um, you will not find Dr. Drang on Twitter, but you will find him at the Automators forums at talk.automators.fm with a loving group of nerds. I, I love that forum because everybody there is just so nice to each other and everybody's just trying to figure this stuff out. If you enjoy this show, heck, if you just got through an hour and a half of us talking about terminal commands and folders, you love automation, you need to be on the forum. Yeah, definitely. There are so many wonderful people there. It's it's really nice to pop in and go, oh, look, all of these wonderful things have been happening in the last, you know, 20 minutes since I visited. Because it always feels like I was there 20 minutes ago and so much stuff has happened. So. Yeah, and uh, we are the automators. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. Thank you to our sponsors, Smile, ExpressVPN, and Devin Think, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone.